Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. And today we're going to be talking about Matthias Corvinus, the son of John Hunyadi, who we did in one of our very earliest episodes of the show, and the king of Hungary instead of region of Hungary like his father was. So Matthias Corvinus was, in Hungarian history, probably was one of the most important. He was responsible for the patronage of various arts, the introduction of the Renaissance into Hungary, the establishment of one of the first professional armies in Europe, and he was also involved in various wars involving Austria, Bohemia, the Ottoman Empire, and Moldovia during his reign as King of Hungary. So, let's jump right into this since we do have a lot to cover today. So, Matthias was born in the town of Kolosvar on the 23rd of February, 1443. He was the second son of John Hunyadi and his wife, Elizabeth Szilagyi. Matthias's education was managed by his mother due to his father's absence, as as we know from our previous show, John Hunyadi was off quelling various rebellions and pretty much fighting the Ottomans for the entirety of his regency. Many of the most learned men of Central Europe at the time frequented John Hunyadi's court when Matthias was still a child and provided the basis of his education. Gregory Sanok, a former tutor of King Vladislaus III of Poland, was Matthias's only teacher whose name is actually known, though. Under these scholars' influences, Matthias became an enthusiastic supporter of Renaissance humanism, something which he would go on to promote during his time as king. As a child, he learned many languages reading classical literature, especially military treaties, and according to Antonio Bonfini, he was well-versed in all tons of Europe, with the exceptions of Turkish and Greek, but this is a bit of an exaggeration. However, it is without a doubt that he spoke Hungarian, Latin, Italian, Polish, Czech, and German. It's also written that he was able to understand the Romanian language as he was able to understand the envoys sent by Stefan the Great of Moldova. So his father, John Hunyadi, died on the 11th of August, 1456, less than about three weeks after his victory over the Ottomans at Belgrade, which we talked about in our John Hunyadi episode. John's elder son, Ladislaus, became the head of the Hunyadi family at the time. Ladislaus's conflict with Ulrich of Selji ended with Ulrich's capture and assassination on the 9th of November. But, and under duress, the king promised he would never take revenge against Hunyadis for the killing. But the murder turned many barons of Hungary against the Hunyadi family, and under this, the king had the Hunyadi brothers both imprisoned in Buda on the 14th of March, 1457. The royal council then condemned both of them to death for high treason, and Ladislaus Hunyadi was beheaded on the 16th of March of that year making Matthias the head of the Hunyadi family. Matthias was held in captivity, though, in a small house in Buda. His mother and her brother, Michael Sudagai, staged a rebellion against the king for this execution and occupied large territories in the region to the east of the River Tisza. King Ladislaus would flee to Vienna in mid-1457 and from Vienna to Prague in September, taking Matthias with him. 
The civil war between the rebels and the barons, loyal to the monarch, continued until the death of the king on the 23rd of November, 1457. Thereafter, the Hussite region of Bohemia, George of Podebrady, held Matthias captive. So King Ladislaus, when he died, having died young, was childless. His elder sister Anna and her husband William III, the Landgrave of Thuringia, laid claim to the inheritance, that being the Kingdom of Hungary, but received no support from the estates of the kingdom. The deed of Hungary was thus convoked in order to elect a new king in January 1458. The Pope's legate, Cardinal Juan Carvajal, who was an open admirer and supporter of John Hunyadi, advocated for the election of Matthias as the King of Hungary. The election was seen by many as really the only way to avoid a protracted civil war, given that he did have a decent uh, power base and a large support, especially since his uh, mother and her brother had, through the rebellion, taken over a decent amount of territory in the Hungarian lands. The barons put up a bit of a fight, but eventually they would yield under the condition that Matthias would marry the uh, palatinate of uh, Garay's daughter, Anna, his executed brother's bride. Uh, Michael Sidagavi arrived at the Diet as well with 15,000 troops, which intimidated all the barons there who did not have that number of men and decided, well, better to vote him in than be executed or captured by the 15,000 men that surrounded the capital at the time. And thus, the 14-year-old Matthias Corvinus was proclaimed king on the 24th of January of that year. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. The show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're talking about Matthias Corvinus, the King of Hungary. So we just got done talking about his early life and his coronation on the 24th of January, 1458. So this election was the first time that a noble had taken the throne of Hungary in the sense that it was appointed through this deed and convention. Up until this time, the succession of Hungarian kings had gone pretty much uninterrupted until this, the death of Ladislaus, in which case they had to convene in order to choose a new king, that being Matthias. So immediately upon his ascension, peace terms were sent to George of Podobradi, the man who was the region of Bohemia at the time and was involved in uh, military engagements with the Kingdom of Hungary. And... At this time, Matthias was actually still imprisoned when he was elected king. And as such, uh, delegates had to be sent out in order to ransom him. So they agreed to release Matthias on the condition that he marry Cunigunda, the daughter of, the, of George of Prodbrady, but also a ransom of 60,000 gold florins. Matthias was thus surrendered to the Hungarian delegates on the 9th of February, 1458. And with Podobradi's mediation, he was also reconciled with John Jiskra of Brandes, the commander of the Czech mercenaries who dominated most of Upper Hungary at the time. And it would be Jiskra who would really be the main opponent of Matthias for most of his reign. So Matthias made a state entry into Buda five days later after its release, where he ceremoniously sat upon the throne in the Church of Our Lady, but was not crowned because the Holy Crown of Hungary had been in possession of Frederick III, the Holy Roman Emperor, for almost two decades, as he styled himself as the King of Hungary. The 14-year-old monarch at this point administered state affairs independently from the outset, although he, was reaff he reaffirmed his uncle's position as regent, since he technically wasn't of age to necessarily rule yet, although he did make, make his best efforts to really do so. So, Jiskra was the first baron who did turn against Matthias. He offered the throne of Hungary to Casimir IV of Poland, the husband of King Vladislaw V's younger sister Elizabeth, in late March of the year, but the general Sejem of Poland rejected his offer. And eventually, uh, 
This resulted in a conflict and battle between Jiskra and Matthias's forces in which Jiskra was defeated. But they were allowed to keep Sardo's palace and various other fortified places in Upper Hungary that Matthias really couldn't take given the strength of uh, the Baron. Matthias first assembled the first deed of the Kingdom of Hungary in his reign in Pest in May of 1458. The states passed pretty almost 50 decrees that were ratified Matthias instead of the regent on the 8th of June, showing that Matthias, despite being underage and technically under a regency, was still really calling the shots here. One decree prescribed as well that the king must call and hold an, an order to be held, a deed of all the gentlemen of the Roman person, every year on Whit Sunday. And it was because of this, Matthias would hold more than 25 diets during his reign and can vote the estates more frequently than his predecessors, especially between 1458 and 1476, making sure that Matthias, for a large part, always had the consensus and consent of the nobility in pretty much all he did. Now, the diets were structured in that they were controlled by pretty much the barons, but he really appointed and dismissed anyone from that diet at will. For example, he dismissed Palatine Vladislav Garay and persuaded Michael Sizigali to resign from the regency after they entered into a league in the summer of 1458, and the king appointed Michael Orszag, who had been his father's close supporter, as the new Palatine. Most of Matthias's barons were descended from older aristocratic families, but he also promoted career members of the lesser nobility and even some skillful commoners. For instance, the nobles, the nobles of Hoya brothers, Emmerich and Stefan, owned their fortunes to Matthias's favor. So this was a real... Step back, I guess, from the, the more traditional method of which people just inherited seeds. No king really interfered with them. And Matthias took a lot more of a hands-on approach and really, for in a way, recognized merit over seniority or noble lineage as the most decisive factor in, deserve, in deciding who should sit on the Diet. So at the time, Hungary's revenues at the start of his reign were also around 250,000 gold florins, which are pretty good. And the deed, as a result of this, would place a limitation on his ability to levy extra denarii taxes. And this is important, especially considering the fact that Matthias will be fighting many armed conflicts in the future, and he had to keep going back to the deed in order to get support for extra denarii taxes to finance these various wars, which would come to really hinder his progress as eventually the deed decided to not fund these because they saw them as a waste of time and money. In August 1458, though, Matthias would see his first conflict outside of the Bohemians and rebels within the kingdom itself. This would be the Ottomans, the very enemy his father spent so many years fighting. In 1458 of August, the Ottomans occupied the fort of Golubac in Serbia, upon which Matthias ordered the mobilization of all noblemen in the kingdom. He made raids into Ottoman territory, defeating the enemy in minor skirmishes. King Stephen Thomas of Bosnia at the time accepted Matthias' suzerainty, making Bosnia a protector of the Hungarian state. Hungary and Serbia for, hung for Hungary were both incredibly important because they were really buffer states between Hungary and the Ottoman Empire, who was a very strong opponent that the Hungarians really needed those buffer states in order to avoid them raiding their territory and make it a lot more difficult for them to actually attack. Hence why John Hunyadi spent so much time fighting and saw such an important need to win the Battle of Belgrade, since Belgrade was one of the key, probably one of the most strongest forts as well, and strategic forts, that held back the Ottomans from reaching the interior of Hungary. At the turn of 1458 and 1459 about, Matthias held a deed at Seged to prepare for war against the Ottomans. 
However, rumors began to emerge about a conspiracy compelled against them, which proved to be true, as at least 30 barons, including Vladislav Garay, Nicholas Ujilaki, and Vladislav Kanizai, met and offered the throne of Hungary to Emperor Frederick III, the man who held the Holy Crown of Hungary and was styling himself as the King of Hungary for almost two decades. Although the joint troops of the Emperor and the rebellious force defeated a royal army at Kormend on the 27th of March, Garay had by that time died, and Ujilik soon entered into negotiations with Matthias as envoys. Giskra swore a oath of loyalty to the Emperor Frederick on the 10th of March 1461, once again bringing him into the fold of the conflict. Pope Pius II at the time had offered to mediate a peace treaty between the Emperor and Matthias, and George of Podobradi also offered assistance. There was representatives of the Emperor and Matthias signed a truce in April of 1460, and the Pope soon offered financial support for an anti-Ottoman campaign. However, John Driska returned from Poland and renewed armed conflicts with Czech mercenaries in early 1460. Matthias seized a newly erected fort from the Czechs, but he could not force them to obey him. Matthias entered into alliance with the emperor's rebellious brother, Albrecht VI, the Archduke of Austria. The George of Podbrady, George of Podbrady his father-in-law at the time, uh, sided with the emperor against Matthias, even though that he was his son-in-law. This led to the te- deterioration of the relationship, which, albeit wasn't strong to begin with, was still an incredibly important one. And thus, the relations deteriorated between the two of them, especially because of the presence of Czech mercenaries in Upper Hungary under the control of John Driska. Matthias launched a new campaign against them after the Diet authorized him to collect a new extraordinary tax in mid-1461, but he was never able to defeat Jiska, who even captured Kesmark. Envoys of Matthias and Emperor Frederick eventually agreed to a peace treaty on the 3rd of April, 1462. According to the agreement, the emperor was to return the Holy Ground of Hungary for 80,000 gold florins, but his right to use the title King of Hungary along with Matthias was confirmed. In accordance with the treaty, the emperor adopted Matthias, which granted him the right to succeed his son if Matthias died without a legitimate heir. Within a month, Yiskra yielded to Matthias. He surrendered all the forts he held in Upper Hungary to the king's representatives, and as compensation, he received a large domain near Tizza and 25,000 gold florins. To pay the large amount stipulated in these treaties of the Emperor Andriska, Matthias had to collect yet another extraordinary tax with the consent of the royal council. The Diet, which assembled in mid-1462, confirmed this decision, but only after nine prelates and 19 bearers promised that no extraordinary taxes would be introduced thereafter. Through hiring mercenaries as well from Jiskra's companions, Matthias began organizing a professional army known as the Black Army, which would become one of the most uh, fearsome fighting forces in Eastern Europe in the following decades. In preparations for a war against the Ottomans, since the Pope promised financial aid to a new anti-Ottoman campaign, he held a diet at Tolna in March of 1463. And although the states authorized him to levy a one-floor and extraordinary tax, he did not intervene when Mehmed II invaded Bosnia in June of that year. In a month, the Ottomans had murdered King Stefan and conquered the entire country. Matthias only adopted an offensive foreign policy after the terms of his peace with Emperor Frederick were ratified in Wunernustadt on the 19th of July, 1463. He led his troops from here to, into Bosnia, conquering Jas and other forts in the northern parts. The conquered regions were organized into new defensive provinces, and Matthias was assisted by Stefan Vusik, the Duke of Saint Sava, who controlled the area of modern and old Herzegovina a former vassal to the Bosnian kings, in which Stefan accept, then proceeded to accept Matthias's suzerainty. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back for all of you just tuning in. 
the history shouldn't be a mystery. We just got done talking about the early reign and consolidation of control of Matthias, and now we're about to jump into his reforms and er internal conflicts, which really plagued him from 1464 to about 1467. So at the, at the time that he was also fighting the Ottomans and pushing them out of Bosnia, Matthias dismissed his chief chancellor, Archbishop Sessi, replacing him with Stefan Vardai, the Archbishop of Kolokosa, and John Vitez. Both prelates bore the title of chief and secret chancellor, but Vardai was actually the leader of the royal chancery. Around the same time, Matthias united the Superior Court of Justices, the Court of Royal Special Presence, and the Court of Personal Presence into one Supreme Court. The new Supreme Court diminished the authority of the traditional courts presided over by the barons and contributed to the professionalization of the administration of justice. He then would be responsible for appointing Albert Hagassi as the first Chief Justice as of the Supreme Court. Sultan Mehmed II would return to Bosnia and lay siege to the recaptured Jace in July of 1464. Matthias assembled his troops along the river Saza, forcing the Sultan to raise siege on the 24th of August. Matthias and his army then crossed the river and seized Sabernica. He then sieged Svonok, but the arrival of a large Ottoman army forced him to redraw his force, withdraw his forces into Hungary. The following year, Matthias would force Stefan Vusik, who transferred the Makassar Cartagena to the Republic of Venice, to establish uh, Hungarian, gar Hungarian garrisons in its force around the river Nerteva to strengthen defenses against the Ottoman Empire. Denis Schick would die in 1465, with John Vitez then becoming the new Archbishop of Escolom. Matthias then replaced two Vivoids of Transylvania with Count Sigismund and John Stratagogny and Berthold Elberbach. Although Ujelak pre preserved his office of Bada Moscow, the king appointed Peter Sokoli and administered the province of the Old Bon. Now, while this may seem not necessarily important to Matthias's rule, it really reinforces the whole idea earlier of he dismissed barons at will, replaced them with who he wanted, and he really centralized his administration and replaced them with royal followers who really knew what they were doing with, as they proved their worth based on merit. So Matthias would then convoke a new diet to make preparations for yet another anti-Ottoman Ottoman campaign in 1466. From this, he received subsidies from Pope Paul II. However, Matthias realized at this time that no substantial aid could be expected from the other Christian powers and gave up his anti-Ottoman foreign policy. He did not invade Ottoman territory, and the Ottomans did not make any major incursions into Hungary, implying that he signed a peace treaty with Mehmed II's envoy, who arrived in Hungary in 1465 at some point. Albeit the exact date is unknown, since technically at the time the two states weren't officially at war, but yet still fought against each other. Matthias visited Slavonia and dismissed two new bonds, Nicholas Ujilaki, who was responsible for whose family was responsible for one of the earliest rebellions against him, and Emmerich Zapoila, replacing them with two new barons in 1466. Earlier the following year, he mounted yet another campaign in the Upper Hungary against a band of Czech mercenaries under the command of John Svela, who had seized the town of Kostolani. Matthias would root them, though, and had all of his companions, numbering about 150, all hanged for treason against the crown. At the Diet of March in 1467, two traditional taxes were renamed. The Chamber's profit was thereafter collected as a tax of the royal treasury, and the 13th as the crown's customs. Because of this change, all previous tax exemptions became void, increasing state revenues dramatically. Matthias said about centralizing the administration of royal revenues as well, which further bolstered his efficiency and ability to collect these taxes. But this tax reform caused a revolt in Transylvania, and representatives of the three nations of the province, the noblemen, the Saxons, and the Sheleks, formed an alliance against the king. Matthias assembled his troops and hastened to the province to put them down, and the rebels surrendered without resistance, 
and Math- but Matthias still severely punished their leaders, many of whom were impaled, beheaded, or mercilessly tortured upon his own orders. Suspecting as well that Stefan the Great had supported the rebellion, Matthias would invade Moldavia. However, Stefan's forces routed Matthias at the Battle of Baia, where Matthias himself suffered severe injuries, forcing himself to return to Hungary. Matthias would finally start to get himself involved in former wars in about 1468 to 1478, also known as the War for the Bohemian Lands or the Bohemian War. So Matthias's former brother-in-law, Victor Podbrady, invaded Austria in early 1468. Emperor Frederick III appealed to Matthias for support, hinting at the possibility of his election as King of the Romans, which would have been the first step towards the imperial throne. Matthias declared war on Victor's father, King George of Bohemia, who relations between the two had deteriorated due to him siding against Matthias in a previous war. It was also said that he wanted to help the Czech Catholic lords against their heretic monarch, whom the Pope himself had excommunicated. Matthias, using his military prowess and the strength of the new Black Army, expelled Czech troops from Austria and invaded Moravia and Silesia. He took an active part in fighting too, captured at Schundrum when spying out an enemy cap in disguise in February 1469, on which he was later released because he made the custodians believe he was actually a local Czech groom and not the King of Hungary. From here, Matthias would eventually um, be forced, however, to come into peace negotiations with his former father-in-law as a united force encircled at Villemont by Georgia Prodigy's army. In fear of being captured, he would open negotiations, and they would meet in a nearby hovel, where Matthias persuaded George Podbrady to sign an armistice, promising that he would mediate a reconciliation between the moderate Hussites and the Holy See. The next meeting took place at Olomouc in April, where papal legates came forward with demands, including the appointment of a Catholic archbishop to the See of Prague, which could not be accepted, however, by George. The Czech Catholic Estates elected Matthias, King of Bohemia, on the 3rd of May, but he was never actually crowned. Moravia, Silesia, and Lucia soon accepted his rule, but Bohemia proper remained faithful to George. The Estates of Bohemia even acknowledged the right of Vladislaw Zdrigeo, the youngest son of Kazimir IV of Poland, to succeed King George of Podobrady. Matthias' relations, and relations at the time with Frederick III had also deteriorated because the emperor accused him of allowing Ottomans to march through Slavonia when raiding the emperor's realms. This deterioration of relationships with Frederick III would eventually lead to a war with Austria, starting one year before the conclusion of the, Austri- of the uh, Hungarian-Bohemian War in 1477. Now, Matthias with his army would come to defeat both of these parties, ultimately. In the Treaty of Brno in 1478, uh, Matthias Corvinus would be able to annex the lands of Moravia, Silesia, and Lustasia, all of these lands being ones that voted to join and proclaimed him as king of Bohemia. And through this treaty, although he did have to pay an indemnity of around 400,000 florins, he was able to gain these lands and the title king of Bohemia. Likewise, the Austro-Hungarian War lasted until 1488, but Matthias with his black army once again was able to prevail and in the short term gain some lands from the Austrians. However, these were lost upon the death of Matthias Corvinus as no Hungarian king at that point was necessarily able to stand up to the Austrian forces at that time. Towards the end of his reign, Matthias was feared by many within his kingdom, and towards the end, he really focused more on centralization. But many feared him because, as a whole, Matthias was known to behead his opponents, torture them, impale them, and really just took very harsh measures against those who really opposed him. But as with all kings, none are immortal, and Matthias Corvinus would eventually die of a stroke on the 6th of April, 1490. 
The reign of Matthias Corvinus is probably one of the most important in Hungarian history. At one point, and one hand, while it's um, while he certainly made large territorial acquisitions, they were for the large part very short-lived, as eventually most of these territories would be lost to the former Bohemian and Austrians who would come to take the territory. In addition. Um, he really upset the bonds and had caused a lot of rebellions through his implementation of extraordinary taxes in fighting all these wars. But Matthias Corvinus was responsible for patronage of the Renaissance and Renaissance humanist arts within the Kingdom of Hungary. He created one of the first centralized and professional standing armies of Eastern Europe, and he centralized the kingdom's revenues in a way that made it a lot more efficient going into the future. But regardless of whatever you think in regards to was, were the wars worth it, was he really a good king, the reign of Matthias Corvinus is truly one of importance in Hungarian history. Thank you for joining us for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next time as we delve into another, histo another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.